And so instead, I just want to share with you something that, that God impressed upon my heart, actually just on Friday morning during my devotional time, uh, and it's right before Richard called, actually. But it, it'll be a brief message uh, because it's really just one thought. But I think it's a thought and a, and a challenge that would be really good for us to take into the new year. It comes from Exodus 33. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, we're going to be reading some verses in Exodus 33. Uh, the events of this chapter uh, come right on the heels of the infamous golden calf incident. Uh, most of you know the basics of what happened there, but that is a time that the nation of Israel messed up really, really badly, uh, about as badly as they ever did. Moses, at this point, they've just gotten out of Egypt. God has gotten them out through the, through the plagues, the Passover. God has parted the Red Sea. They've escaped into the wilderness. They are now around Mount Sinai. Moses is actually up on the mountain. Moses is up on Mount Sinai. The cloud of the Lord's presence has descended upon the mountain, and that's where Moses, Moses is. He's, he's up there receiving the law of God with all of the directions on how to build the tabernacle and all of the, the details of the law. And God has fashioned two stone tablets for Moses, on which he has written the Ten Commandments, as it were, with his own finger. And, and what an incredible privilege for Israel to have this happening, for Israel to have their God doing something like this for them. It's an amazing time, and yet at the bottom of the mountain, things are not going so well. At the bottom of the mountain where the rest of the people are, they have grown impatient because they saw Moses go up the mountain, and Moses is still up there. He's still in the midst of the, the cloud. It's been a long time. They don't know when he's coming back. They're starting to wonder if he's ever going to come back or is he just going to stay up there in that cloud, and, and so they're, they're struggling. Uh, it's waiting is one of the hardest things that God asks us to do, and waiting is one of the things I know that in me brings out the sin nature more quickly than just about anything else is when you don't want to wait, but you have to wait. And they had to wait. And maybe in this time that they're forced to wait, they're starting to have second thoughts, not only about, as they call him, this fellow Moses, um, but also about God, about this holy and demanding God that shakes whole mountains with his presence and thunders all these commandments down at them from on high. And so eventually they give up on Moses ever coming back. And they go to Aaron and they kind of pressure Aaron to do something. In fact, they say, we want you to make us gods. We want you to make us an idol. Make us an idol of gold. And while Moses is up on the mountain receiving instructions, this is so ironic, receiving instructions about Aaron, receiving instructions about what Aaron needs to wear and how Aaron needs to act and how Aaron is going to be anointed because Aaron's job is going to be so sacred and important to Israel. Meanwhile, here is the man himself, Aaron, the future high priest, with the engraver's tool in his hand, leading the people to break the second commandment, which says, thou shalt not have any graven images to represent your God. And the people go to this golden calf that Aaron fashions, and they proclaim of the calf, these are the gods who led you out of Egypt. And they start to worship. And Moses comes down from the mountain. The people are not only worshiping the calf, but the, the language indicates they're basically throwing a wild party, and it indicates they're engaging also in some sort of sexual immorality while this is going on. So Moses comes down, and he sees this scene, and he confronts Aaron. And he says, what's going on? 
What is this golden calf that I see over here? And here's how Aaron answers. Aaron says, the people were pressuring me to do this, and so I told them to give me all their golden earrings, and they gave me the earrings, and I threw them into the fire, and out came this calf. He literally says that. Moses does not even justify this lie with a response. He is so mad, Moses is so mad, that he, he throws down the two tablets and breaks them on the ground. He then has the calf melted down and mixed with water, and he makes the people drink it. Then Moses calls upon the tribe of Levi to go throughout the camp, bringing down God's judgment, and they actually execute a large number of people. And then after that, God sends a plague, which kills even more people. This is about how it is at this point with the nation of Israel and God. They're in a very bad place, very bad place. Well, after this is all over, Moses goes out to what's called the tent of meeting to talk to God about what to do about all this. Now, the tent of meeting was a a tent that Moses would pitch outside of the camp. So it wasn't in amongst the people. It was kind of outside, just outside the camp, and Moses would go to this tent. And, uh, and what would happen was God's, the cloud of God's presence would come down upon the tent as Moses went there. And so God would speak to Moses in that place. The Bible says God and Moses would speak back and forth to each other like friend to friend. And the people, typically what would happen is when the cloud started to come down on the tent and Moses was making his way there, the people would come out to the front of their tent to kind of watch Moses go by. And as he made his way to the tent, the people, it says, would worship at a distance as Moses went to hear from and talk to God in that holy cloud that came down upon the tent. And on this particular occasion, you probably don't have to wonder what the people are thinking as Moses makes his way to that tent and as the cloud comes down. They're thinking, what's going to happen to us? Are we going to be wiped out? Is God going to take us down? I mean, is this the end of Israel? I hope Moses can convince the, the God not, not to kill us, not to wipe us out. So this is the scene. This is the scene in Exodus 33. God is speaking with Moses in the tent of meeting right after this whole traumatic series of events with the golden calf. So turn now, Exodus 33. We're just going to read the first three verses for now. The Lord said to Moses, Depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. I've read these verses many times, but I think this past Friday was the first time I ever really saw them from this particular angle. But God, in these verses, if you think about it, is making his people an offer, isn't he? He's making Moses an offer. God's saying, look, Moses, here's the deal. Here's the deal. This arrangement with me living among you and and, and in this tabernacle you're going to build and all that, this is just not working out. We can't be this close. Eventually, if I keep traveling with these people, I'm going to have to kill them. So here's what I'm going to do. I made you all a promise. I always keep my promises, so I'm going to keep this one. I will give you the promised land. I will give you the promised land. In fact, I will drive out all your enemies before you. You won't have to deal with them. The Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, all the other ites that you might come in contact with, I will get rid of them. 
and I will establish you in the land. It'll be yours. A land flowing with milk and honey. You'll have good land. You'll have an abundant harvest. Whatever you need to live. No enemies to bother you. I will take care of all that. You will have everything you need to start your new nation. You just won't have me. Because I'm not coming personally. That's the offer. I won't be bothering you, God says to Moses. I won't be bothering you with all my fussy commandments that you don't like. You can build golden calves. You can build golden chickens. Build whatever you want. You can be like all the other nations with their gods and their idols. I will not hassle you. I'll just, I'll tell you what. That's how we'll do this thing. I'll leave you alone. Go take the promised land. What do you think? Do we have a deal? And as I read these words, I thought, Paul, what what would you say to an offer like this if you were in Moses' shoes? How would you respond to that? And it struck me that there is a kind of equivalent offer that God could make that would be very attractive to a lot of people who profess to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And the offer goes like this. What if God came to you? Let's bring this home now. What if God came to you at the beginning of 2024 and made you an offer like this? He said, look, in this next year, I will give you whatever blessings you need in abundance. You just won't have my presence. Things will go well at home and at work. Your marriage will be okay. Your kids won't freak out. The car won't break down. The house won't have a whole lot have to be have done to it, no major problems. Your son will get straight A's. Your daughter will make the varsity softball team. Work will be smooth sailing. You'll have plenty of money. You can take a nice vacation whenever you want to. In fact, I'll even give you good weather for it. Best of all, nobody in your family will get sick this year. And you won't lose any loved ones to death. I'll take care of everything. I just won't bother you with my presence. You won't have to pray. Because after all, what will there be to pray about? My Holy Spirit will not prompt you to do anything in particular, and he won't make you feel uncomfortable when you disobey me. You can keep all your little pet sins, and I won't give you a hard time. Just enjoy the blessings and live your life whatever way you want to. I just won't be part of it. That's the offer. Now be honest with yourself. How many of you, maybe after the year you had in 2023, would be seriously tempted to take that offer if only for a year? If you did, what would be missing in your Christian life as you currently live it? Another way to ask the question is, how much of your Christian life is a real relationship with God, and how much of it is more like a kind of deal you made with God where he blesses you with the things you think you need in exchange for you going to church and praying and trying to be good? What are you hoping to receive by following Jesus? The stuff that he offers you? Or Jesus himself? That's really the question. Now you might say, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, let, me, let me bring it down to another level and think of a human relationship. Think of a marriage relationship. Many of you are married today. What if, what if Dawn came to me at the new year and she said to me something like this, you know, Paul, you've been driving me up the wall. And I'm afraid that if we lived together under the same roof and had to spend all this time together for another 365 days, 366, that's a leap year, I, I'd probably end up having to kill you. So, 
So here's what I think we should do. I've got a deal for you. For the next year, for the next year, I'm going to go live with the next door neighbors. So you won't see me a whole lot. However, I will come over and clean the house on a regular basis. I'll do your laundry. Just leave it in the hamper. I'll even change the sheets on your bed. I'll schedule all the meals like I normally do. I'll have DoorDash bring over all your groceries, and I'll prepare the food while you're at work so you just have to pop it in the, in the microwave or in the oven when you get home. Once a week, I'll get Grubhub to bring you some restaurant food. I'll even let you go to Zaxby's, which should make you happy since I never want to go there. You can wear whatever outfit you want, and I will not comment on them. You can keep whatever hours you want. You can watch ESPN nonstop and keep the house at whatever freezing temperature makes you happy. I'll trim the shrubs. I'll spread mulch on the flower bed. I'll water all the plants. I'll make sure my paycheck keeps coming into our account so we'll have enough money. I'll take care of everything you need so you won't even notice that I'm gone. What do you think? Now, husbands, as intriguing as this offer might sound to you in some ways, right, I hope, I hope that you would respond after considering it for about eight milliseconds. I hope that you would respond the same way that I would and that you would fight back on this one. Why? Because what I just described is not a marriage. It's a business arrangement, right? Marriage is more than that. Marriage means sharing life. Marriage means learning together, learning how to love, learning how to communicate, learning how to to disagree, learning how to compromise, learning how to forgive when you hurt one another as you inevitably will. Marriage is a laboratory of love, and the more you give yourself to your marriage, the more it changes you, hopefully for the better. We husbands and wives, we all pray and we work toward a happy marriage, but at the end of the day, we find out that marriage is not primarily to increase our happiness, it's to increase our holiness. And if the day comes when you lose your spouse, you will in fact gain a lot of freedom that you didn't have before. But that could never make up for the pain of missing the one who over the years has become part of you, even through the really unhappy and trying times when you were driving each other absolutely crazy and you felt like giving up. Well, if that's what a marriage is, then what about a relationship with God? Which, by the way, in the Bible, many, many, many times is not even, it's compared to a marriage, but more than that, it's more than a comparison. There is a marriage coming up between us and Jesus. What about a relationship with God for you? Is it just a business arrangement where he agrees to forgive our sins and answer our requests if we make a reasonable effort to do Christian things and live a good moral life? Or is there more than that? How did Moses respond to God's offer? Let's find out. You have to look over in verses 12 to 16 to to see what he says. There's a little more explanation in between. But Moses says this in verse 12 of of Exodus 33. Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he, God, said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? 
so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. See, Moses knew that God wasn't just in this for the blessing. God wasn't just in this for Canaan. This wasn't just about getting to the promised land. It was more than that. This was about taking the journey together, God and his people. It was about how they would change along the way to become a people distinct from all others because they would be becoming more and more like their God the more time they spent with him and the more they interacted with him and all the different things they would go through. It was about them learning God's ways and learning to follow him. All of this done in the context of a loving relationship. As it says in Deuteronomy 4, 7, for what nation is there, no matter how great, that has a God so near to it as the Lord God is near to us when we call upon him? It isn't just about the stuff that we get when we call upon him. It's about the nearness. It's about the relationship. It's about the closeness. Now, if you read the next few books of the Bible, you find out something. You find out that Moses, in begging God to reconsider here, and Moses saying, God, please go with us, in begging God to reconsider, Moses is actually signing up for a very difficult and painful journey because some of the things that God warned was going to happen, they did happen. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, God didn't deliver you from your sins just so you could have the blessings of heaven as if that were really possible without his presence anyway. No. Jesus went to that cross to make you his inheritance. Jesus went to that cross to make you a different person. He went to the cross to to, to make you truly his. He went to the cross to make you able to stand, as Jude says, in his presence, blameless with great joy. In his presence. And the journey to that kind of personal transformation and that kind of intimacy with God is not an easy one. How could it be? So ask yourself this morning, Here's the question. Which would I rather have? A year of temporal blessings with very few problems where God doesn't hang around, doesn't bother me, doesn't rebuke or convict or chasten me, and doesn't try to change me. Or a year of walking with Jesus. A year of mixed happiness and pain. A year of faith-stretching complexity. A year of occasional character-shaping trials or even discipline. A year where part of the time you're rejoicing in God's presence for his goodness to you and your family, and part of the time you're weeping in God's presence, driven to your knees by situations that are too tough for you to handle. But either way, it's a year in his presence. A year of seeking his face in prayer meeting him in the mornings, reading his word, confessing your sins to him and battling them in his power and not in your own, listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, a year of connecting with his people, plugging into his mission, committing your plans to him and not just going off and doing everything on your own, a year of learning how to love him more, how to trust him more, how to know him in more of his dimensions, how to worship him for more facets of his glory, and a year of becoming more like him in the process. So as we close, let me just ask that question. Which do you opt for in 2024?
the business relationship or the real relationship? Which will it be? Let's pray. Father, none of us knows what's going to happen in the next year. What we do know is that you can walk with us through it. We can spend it with you. Because Jesus paved the way for us to have an ongoing and eternal and life-transforming relationship with you by taking our sins away on the cross. We can walk in intimacy with you even if we walk through really dark places. Father, I pray that you would just tune our hearts to want what you want and to realize that a life lived with you is better than a life that is lived in oblivion, free of problems, but free of your presence. And as Moses did, and ultimately the people of Israel, as they mourned when you said that, and as Moses desperately cried out to you and asked you to reconsider, Lord, I pray that you would give us his heart, the heart that isn't satisfied with a business arrangement with you, but wants to have a real transformative relationship where we live in your presence, where we rejoice in your presence and weep in your presence, where our prayers are real, where we're hearing from you, where we're opening up our hearts to you and allowing you to convict us and change us and chasten us and discipline us and challenge us and stretch us. Lord, I pray that for us as individuals and us as a church. Would you give us that kind of year? In Jesus' name, amen.